That's where we talk to people from the world of audio about their ideas, opinions, and methods. Hi, I'm Mark Young. For this episode, I spoke with the English singer-songwriter Hannah Trigwell. She started out busking the streets of Leeds as a self-taught guitarist, but after starting her own YouTube channel, her career really started to take off. Her videos have since racked up over 100 million views. In the podcast, we talk about being an independent artist in the age of social media, how that affects her creativity, and what it's like interacting with her fans online. Hannah Trigwell is next. Hannah, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. We're here at the Montreux Jazz Festival. I know you were here last year as well. Yes. What's your impression this time, now that you're a veteran, I guess? I think that it's awesome. It's a very different kind of festival to other festivals that I've been to, especially the sort of jam sessions mm. part of it in the House of Jazz yeah. part. Um, and that feels so old school and so... Like, it's crazy when you go in there because sometimes some massive artists come in and, and just do an impromptu jam. And when you are watching that in the audience, you just, there's nothing like purer than that because you know that they're just doing it for the love of it. You can see see that they're having as much fun yeah. as the audience. Yeah. And, it, and you don't, you know, usually at a festival when there's a massive audience and someone's on the main stage, it's slightly less there's slightly less connection. It's not as intimate. So I really, really love that about this festival because like, I've never seen the legends that I look up to in as close proximity, which right, right. I think is really cool. So personal highlights, like what did you, what did you see? So I saw Shania Twain last night. Shania Twain, wow. Which I've been talking about ever since. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of people didn't realise it was her and – and I was saying, oh, my God, it's Shania Twain. And everyone around me was like, no, no, it's not. It's not. She was with Chili Gonzalez. Yes. So he was doing, he was playing piano in his band. And, yeah. yeah. And she just kind of, yeah. And there was a cello player and a like a jazz drummer. And it was really, really cool and totally unexpected because I don't think she was playing anywhere yesterday. Ah. But I know that she lives here. Okay. So I think, you know. It's an amazing kind of event. They're both there. Canadian. I wonder if that's like, yeah. are you a Canadian artist and you just say, I'm playing Montoro, Shania, do you want to show up? I don't know. How much is it? Just turn up, just come up, grab the mic. Is it, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Who else did you see? So on the first night I saw, the first person I saw was Louis Capaldi, mm. who I'm a big fan of. I think he's great. And I follow him a lot on social media and he's just such a funny guy. And it was great to see that between the songs as well. I feel like a lot of people really like his music, but a lot of people in that room, it felt like went for the comedy as well, oh, okay. which was really fun. Because uh-huh. um, not a lot of gigs are like that. Yeah. Uh, and then after him, Dermot Kennedy, who I'd actually never heard of before, which is kind of embarrassing because he won BBC Sound of 2019, which is massive. Um, and he's amazing, but I hadn't heard of him before. And I was just thinking, let's like give this guy a go. The room filled up and I was like, oh, he must be a big deal. Mm. He must be doing some big stuff. And then he started playing and I was just like nearly crying for like the whole set. And I yeah. and I didn't even know who this guy was and huh. I'd never heard any of his songs. And I'm rarely affected by stuff that I'm 
that's alien to me straight away. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that's partly because where it is, like Montreux, or do you think it, it, that would have happened any, anywhere? If where you I think it could have, it could have happened anywhere, maybe. But he was really into his performance, and you could you could see in his face that it was his his performance and the lyrics were really affecting him emotionally. Yeah. And I think that's what really connected with me. But yeah, it was just bizarre for me because usually I have to be or feel like familiar with the songs or have an emotional attachment to the artist or the songs to to um you know to have a reaction like that so so as soon as i get home now i'm like you know dermot kennedy number one fan <laughs> you're only 28 correct yes but you're actually you I have, love how you say that you're yeah. only 28 well i guess it's all relative in this industry I, it's like oh you're 28 <laughs> well well you didn't let me you didn't let me get out the second uh, second oh, half okay. of my sentence i was going to say you're only 28 Yet you already have a career spanning a decade because you started yeah. so early. So that's yeah. that's what I'm, uh, I was getting at is that you're a teenager, you're self-taught guitarist, yeah. right? And so I, I just kind of wanted to talk about that development that not, you know, like I said, you've been in the game for over a decade already. Yeah. So how how was that, that you were starting out busking in the streets of Leeds? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I... I was just sort of playing in my bedroom and um, playing covers and stuff before I started writing my own songs. But uh, the people that I would perform to was just my mum and dad, really. Ah. And then I just wanted to get a, a different or bigger audience, maybe. So I was trying to figure out a way to do that. And at the time, it, I was getting a lot of no's from local promoters to put on a local gig because mm. I didn't really have any – no all, one was going to come. But this is all mean? before YouTube, I guess. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. So you were, you're taking, yeah. you were taking your music to the streets yeah. before you took it to the digital world. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, so I just wanted somebody to listen to me, I guess. So then, yeah, I kind of – I was walking past this busker in my hometown – and just asked him if I could have a go. Mm. And he said, no. What? And I was like, fair enough. Because, <laughs> oh. you know, it's his own guitar and kit and stuff. And then I walked past him again and was like, please, can I have a go? You know, you can keep the proceeds, whatever. Um, and he was like, yeah, okay, play one song. And then I, I played Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. And it was just a few people started to stop. And I had this moment where I was like, this could be a thing that mm. I do. Um, so then from busking, I was busking, I, I took a year out before I went to university and I was busking pretty much, pretty much every day. It was really intense. Um, but I just loved it so much. And then I discovered YouTube and that was sort of like a, I'd got my local audience and people that would come to a local gig. And I was sort of thinking like, it would be really cool to tour further afield. So when I discovered YouTube, I was like, oh. That's a way okay. to do it. Right. Uh, I have to go back and ask, though, because he said no at first, the busker. Yeah. What was his reaction then after it was okay? He saw, like, no, she's she's not bad. Or did yeah, then he, you see him when you were busking yourself? So he's called Dave. Yeah. Um, sometimes I still bump into him in, in Leeds, yeah. which is great, on the street. And that, um, yeah, it's really nice because he's he initially, after I'd done that first performance, mm. was – really open and 
um, helpful about the sort of kit that I should get if I want to busk, like the kind of amp, how to make it portable, how to hook it up to a car battery. And cause it, cause that was before portable amps were, were even a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think when I started busking, nobody was using, yeah, like, you know, the standard sort of cube sort of amps. Right, right. Um, so it was all about the car battery style, like dangerous really. Um, and then not, so not very portable either. Though, no, really that. heavy. Yeah. So you know, I'd get, I had like a really old PV, and I'd put it into a suitcase and stuff. Like, get everything on wheels, drag it up this hill, set up. But yeah, I used to see him quite a bit when I was busking because he busked as well. But the city is so big; there's room for us <laughs> to all do it yeah. and is there a like a local busking community where people kind of help each other out i know one guy he went around he was recording buskers throughout europe and he was yeah. describing how each city had a di- the scene was quite different some were really helpful everybody pulled together others were very territorial yeah. what, what was leads or what is leads like leads for busking now is um, as long as you sort of follow some etiquette stuff, like, you know, not setting up within like, like 15 meters of somebody else kind mm. of thing. Um, Leeds is good. Usually the buskers that I've come into contact with have been helpful. There have been some territorial moments, um, which is, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of pointless. I think as long as you are willing to move on after a few hours or something, mm. then then that then it's all good. Because because you know if buskers are trying to earn a living from doing that, they if one person is in the same spot and it's their best spot every day, mm. it's kind of a bit unfair, I guess. But there was there hasn't been too many moments like that. But the the ones that have been like territorial. Mm. really stick in your mind obviously let's go from the mean streets of leads to the the mean virtual streets of youtube i yeah. mean how, maybe you can just they're way meaner yeah it can be i think yeah. i imagine can you just maybe describe how you first started to see it how you first approached it were there other artists other singers that you looked at before and and thought oh i can start uploading some stuff yeah so i was i think the first couple of videos that I saw on YouTube were really random with videos that you would now refer to as vlogs, like daily vlog stuff, mm-hmm. um, which just seemed so strange at that time because nobody was really doing that. Um, but yeah, the first kind of artist that I saw on YouTube playing a song live was Boyce Avenue. And so they're like the most viewed independent band in the world. Um, but back then they didn't have so many views just because YouTube wasn't a big thing. It was, I mean, I, I even wasn't sure it would take off to be honest, but I saw in their comments that they were getting feedback, positive feedback and maybe constructive criticism from people all over the world. And that's why it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, you can get an international what audience. What year was this? Do you remember? Um, I think it was 2007. Yeah. So you were saying it was more of a vlog type thing? What was the first video you, you uploaded then? The first video the first video I ever uploaded 
doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, it was, so my very first channel on YouTube was called HET2810, which is my initials and my date of birth, because I wanted to be anonymous because I was kind of a bit embarrassed about okay, it. Okay. I didn't want my friends or family to find me on there. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then the first video that I ever uploaded was the camera pointed at a wall like you couldn't even see my face. Oh, I wow. want that's okay. that's okay. how anonymous I wanted to wow. be because yeah. I just like at first I just wanted to use it to get feedback to see if I could okay. even like I felt like I could sing, mm. but I'd only ever had feedback like good feedback from friends and family who were obviously a bit biased. Yeah. So, um, but uh, so so totally. Different than now. Ghost. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A ghost in just the voice with the idea yeah. of put put the voice out there. Wow. Yeah. And so at what point then you obviously must have been getting some positive feedback that you decided, okay, I'll turn the camera around and Yeah. yeah. So I got like I think it it took about a week to get thirteen views on this <laughs> video. And the first comment I got um was from a woman in America who Said, just said something nice and I just I can't remember exactly what she said but it was positive and I just remember being like like yes like feeling like I don't like won the lottery or something but I just thought I was like wow this works this is a really cool way to connect with people who aren't necessarily in the same city mm. now if you look at your YouTube channel it's it's a very 360 degree type thing you know yeah. you, you have highly polished and professional music videos yeah. uh you know but you still have like the the covers you maybe have a, a live thing then you have the vlog a how-to videos maybe you could just kind of describe the progression how did it develop over the years to where it is now oh okay yeah so i well i started out doing covers mm. and then i was sort of drip feeding my original material to get feedback on that as well because um nobody teaches you well, nobody taught me how to write a song. Mm. Um, so I was trying to get feedback on that, but I knew that the covers was a way to get people to find me in the first place. Um, so it sort of went from doing a lot of covers, which were not polished, which were just through a laptop webcam in in my room, a one take thing. And then, um, and then I did a bunch of work with Boyce Avenue, which... When that relationship first started to happen and I got an email about doing, um, like supporting them on tour and doing a cover collaboration, this was a band that, like, I'd seen and was amazed by and wanted to be like. They and approached it, you? They or? approached me, yeah. yeah. And I was And it's just, because they knew you from because you were a fan of theirs? or They just, they saw a cover that I did of Katy Perry's Teenage Dream mm. and they liked it I guess and I I was just blown away by that because these guys were like my online heroes do you know what I mean um so yeah so then we started doing some more polished sort of collaboration video stuff with d different angles and um recording the music in a proper studio as opposed to just through my webcam speakers um and then you know from there I was like I really want to push my own music. Mm. So then started doing that as an independent artist and 
was just very um I had to do everything myself out of necessity so making videos and busking to earn the money actually and to get the experience to then go into a studio and record and write songs that were in a pop structure and pay for the recording of that Mm. um and then I just was thinking along the way this is kind of there's a lot of people asking me questions about how I'm doing this stuff and I'm sort of learning as I go so maybe it would be interesting to share some of that kind of trial and error stuff which is why there's some videos about how to and Mm. like um top tips for busking and stuff because i'd i'd have really found that useful it's good i think it goes down best with people who are either musicians Mm. or who are like really into what i do as an original artist i think for people who are sort of passing through and see a cover that they like it doesn't there's not, there's not really an incentive it. to watch that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't think it, it seems like they're not too interested in the behind the scenes stuff if they're just sort of a passive watcher. I see that that you're saying maybe somebody who who wants to see the Leonard Cohen cover, the Hallelujah, yeah. or something like that, that they might not see be yeah. interested in learning how to go busking. But yeah. but how important do you feel it is to have that as a, maybe an artist on YouTube that you really need to have more than just say, oh yeah, you playing a song. Definitely, I think just to just to show the story really, and from from like an audience perspective, I know that the artist that I'm really into I know a lot about their story because they share it Mm. um and I want to know about it and it kind of you know it makes me want to know more about them like Katie Tunstall was kind of doing a similar thing to me for a long time busking and playing and playing and playing um until that um song took off which was oh man and I'm, I so love this song, Other Side of the World. Oh. Um, and so, like, I had a real strong emotional connection to that first album because I knew loads about it um, and her, her latest stuff as well. But, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's really important if you want to share the story with everyone. If you don't and you just want to make music and put it out, I think that's cool, but I think you're kind of limiting your connection with your audience. Red, it came yeah. out about a year ago, right? Yeah. But how maybe... Oh, ha- God, yeah. yeah. Damn. Like, it's Almost. coming up Not to quite. a year, isn't Not it? Quite. yeah. Whoa, that's flown by. And I was wondering about also, like, the technology and mm. the online community. You brought out an album. Yeah. But is it... Do you feel that it's changed? Obviously, people say, like, Spotify is... You know, a lot of people just consume music as singles now. How How is it for you as far as maybe packaging distributing your music do you think more in terms of i need a single that it's going to go on online or are you still thinking in terms of an ep or like the full album you did yeah my my thoughts on this change a lot (laughs) but um so i I was first started putting out eps Mm -hmm. and then sort of thought actually I want to focus more on single songs so then it was singles and then I 
got to a point a couple of years ago where you can sort of see how the industry is changing. And I, I, I'm someone who really likes albums, especially when they have a good flow and there's a, you know, a real experience to the whole listening beginning together. to end. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how long the album's going to be a thing because just like listening behaviors changing and Spotify, obviously, um, well, any streaming site really, just it sort of changes how people consume music and it is like the one song. Um, like a lot of my friends now, I'd say, who's your favorite artist? And they don't know, but they know what their favorite song is, which I think is really interesting. Um, so when I put out my album, I was really excited about it and it did really well in Asia, which was amazing to see. Um, but two weeks later, people were like, oh, so when's your next stuff coming out? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, it took me a year to do oh. that, you know? It took me a long time, a lot of energy and... As an artist, does that really make you think, even if I had an album of material and maybe a concept that pulls it all together, do you feel compelled that you need to chop it up into little pieces, chop it up into singles, kind of dose it out? To Yeah, so like my next album is pretty much written mm. and I'm like a lot of it's already in the rec in the recording process now. Um but there's no way I'm going to drop 14 songs at one time ever again. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah. and that's kind of probably a really bold statement, but I just feel like there's so much material that I want to get out there, but I want people to listen to it. And for me, it means more that they connect with each single song if it comes out like six to eight weeks apart than just kind of listen to the album once but don't really get each song because there hasn't been that much focus on each individual song um so yeah that I think I'm you know I'm definitely back to the releasing singles now as opposed to dropping an album all at one time but the the next singles that I release will come together and it will be clear that they're supposed to be on the same album and they will you know, form an album, but I'm probably going to drop them separately. So at the end, it's they're all released, and then that's yeah. Then so they'll together. Yeah. so there'll be like a bunch of singles, and then they'll form an album right at the end. But uh, uh, when the album mm. is formed, I'll probably drop like two or three, maybe four. No, I think two or three songs that have that haven't been heard before, but they will be the ones that complete the album, if that makes sense. Another aspect of being an artist where you're, you have the strong online presence is how has it maybe informed your music? You started out as a busker with a yeah. guitar, but the single Attention is very electronic production. Yeah. I think when you first start playing music, most people pick up an instrument, um, like if they're going to be a you know, if they're going to sing and play something at the same time, they pick up an instrument like a guitar or play piano. And there's only really a certain type of music that you can do by yourself like that. And most of the time the default goes to like folky acoustic mm. stuff. So I feel like the reason why my earlier stuff was really folky was 
because there was nowhere else to go with it at the time because it was just me. But I've always been really into pop music and um, pop songwriting and pop production. So like the album that came out in August was a real mix of um, folky and more stripped stuff and pop stuff because I wanted to bridge the gap, I suppose, between what I had done and what I knew was coming. I feel like if I don't do what comes naturally to me and what I really am passionate about, which is pop music, then I might as well just not do music. And you said the next, I will call it an album for, 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 yeah. for better or worse. Um, can you say how that's going to be? Is it, is it going more in a certain direction or is it? I, I would always call it like dark pop or like alternative pop. It's not a sort of bubblegum pop. Um, yeah, it's kind of, I, I have a lot of influences that are kind of darker, I guess. Like I really like, I really like Billie Eilish, but I'm not making music that's like that. Yeah. Um, but I also really like Katy Perry and I'm a massive, massive fan of Phil Collins, which is just the complete other extreme end of the spectrum. But I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, I want this song to have the drums of Phil Collins and some vocal harmony arrangements like Ariana Grande and then some guitar stuff um, that's similar to, I don't know, like the 1975. So there's there's so many different influences now, but I feel like my influences before were folkier probably as well. Like mm. I used to listen to a lot of Nora Jones mm -hmm. and um, Ava Cassidy, whereas now I'm listening to a lot of King Princess and um, Mark Ronson, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. pop pop stuff now more than, more than folky stuff, which may have changed my sound, I guess, yeah. The more successful you become, the busier you get. How are you able to maintain your YouTube channel? How often are you still uploading content? So I think I'm averaging like one a week, mm -hmm. which I'm happy with. I always get really annoyed with myself if I don't keep to that schedule. Um, but it's harder to do something like that when you're sort of all over the place. And I'm not touring at the moment but if I'm songwriting in different places or just just traveling for anything really it does make it a lot harder um I'm sort of trying to deal with that by posting more um temporary posts I guess so more um story type things on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. Um, but for something that's going to be a permanent post that's out there forever, it's harder to make that high quality stuff and keep it going out to a strict schedule when you're not mm. in one place mm. all the time. What advice would you then give to a, a young singer looking to get into YouTube or Instagram using these different social media platforms? I would say that they should just do it, not overthink it. I think if they can post something every day on all social media channels, that's probably ideal. Mm. Um, 
like every day forever and it it will take time like even when I first started doing music and uploading videos to YouTube and not a lot of people were using YouTube at all so it wasn't like there was a lot of competition out there for for viewers it took me ages to to get to the point where it sort of tipped over and then people were coming consistently coming back and um and the audience was increasing sort of exponentially I think it was like I think I was at least sort of four or five years in and now I feel like it's harder than ever because there's so many people doing, making content. Um, so there's a lot of competition for attention. Um, little plug for the single there again. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's not impossible. It's definitely not. And I think it's just quantity if you can keep the quantity up, that's, you know, I need to take my own advice with this as well. Cause <laughs> I keep thinking this all the, all the time. I'm like, Oh, I should do something every day. And I, I really, I need, I need to just do it. Yeah. I need to take my own advice with that one. But yeah, if you can keep the quantity up and also the quality, but not overthink the quality too much. I think people assume that something needs to be perfect and polished and like the, the polished video stuff is kind of, losing its appeal with viewers now I think like whenever I post something that's really polished it gets less engagement than something that's raw and mm, personal more real yeah. yeah so I would just say yeah upload everything every day all the time <laughs> well <laughs> the next album is pretty much written when are you planning to record it and would that be something that you would maybe share with your with your fans the the actual recording process yeah, definitely. So I've recorded um, four of the tracks, oh. so which is like, you know, 40% the way through, I guess. But And then a couple of them are currently being mixed and mastered, and I'm recording, starting to record a new track next week. So it's, I mean, doing that as well as at the same time as everything else is just a bit intense, but that's the that's the side of it that I really, really love the songwriting and recording is um I always get really excited about that. Well, we look forward to hearing it and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks very much for speaking with me today. Thanks very much. That was Hannah Trigwell, and this has been Signal Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more stories from the people shaping the world of audio. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you tune in again next time.